Welcome back to the Watch Dogs Bark. <laughs> my name's Drew. I am your host, and I consider myself a watchdog. This is episode 56. Do you need your Watch Dogs Bark fix? Listen to episode 56. Uh, uh, uh. I, I'm really having fun with that thing. I just want you to know. Okay. All right. This episode, I'm just going to let everybody know. It's going to be a bit graphic because I want to explain what all is going on over in Israel between Hamas and Israel and the potential of Hezbollah getting in and that Iran is behind all this. But you need to understand how bad it was when Hamas went into Israel the way they did. What heinous and inhumane things they did. You see, people in, of, that are members of Hamas and Hezbollah and other terrorist groups, they do not value human life. As a matter of fact, they teach their followers that to die is honorable, that if you die defending Palestine or the um, Hamas or, or Hezbollah or Iranian ideals, that you will go to heaven and have 72 virgins and all of that. There's a hilarious routine that Jeff Dunham does with Ahmed, the dead terrorist, where they talk about how Ahmed kills a bunch of people and then goes to heaven and they look out in the audience and they say, is, is, are these the 72 virgins? And then they notice, you know, there's some, a lot of men and, and women. And Jeff Dunham says, well, did, were you guaranteed they were going to be female virgins? <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. If you watch that routine, it's absolutely wonderful. All right. That is the lighthearted part of this podcast. The rest is going to be a little intense. I just want to warn you. Let's go back to where it began. October 7th, 2023. Hamas launched 4,500 rockets into Israel, overwhelming the Iron Dome system of protection that Israel has. And then they led a ground operation that went into Israel, killed 1,300 Israelis, and kidnapped women and children, raped and killed some of them, and dragged their bodies through the streets celebrating. There was one thread on X, formerly Twitter, that someone posted tons of photos and videos of the massacres that have happened in Israel. And I couldn't eat for hours after that. My stomach was so upset. I have never seen so much blood and burned bodies and the 40 babies that were discovered in Kafar Azah uh, at a kibbutz that were somewhere beheaded. There, I listened to a video of a doctor, a medical doctor, that was charged to go in to a house where many of these children were raped and killed. And she described it as something she's never seen before in her life. Some of the rapes were so violent, they broke limbs and broke pelvis bones of these young kids. That, my friends, is pure evil. And this horror wasn't only reserved for children, but they also did that to the elderly, whose bones are a lot more brittle. And the way she described the disfigured bodies was just, I can't imagine seeing something that in real life. How does someone hate that severely? How does someone disregard human life 
to that point. Then, in the early morning hours, after a music festival celebrating peace of all things in the desert right outside of Gaza, paratroopers and ground troops moved in and shot and killed over 250 concertgoers and kidnapped almost 200 and have taken them to Gaza. Now, we know recently that they just released two Americans, a mother and a daughter from Chicago, and, and thank goodness for them. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for them and, and hope that all the other ones that are there can be released as well. Americans and Israelis and Palestinians. I'm sure there were some peaceful Palestinians in that group too and are probably being punished for being sympathizers to Israel and America. I don't understand that kind of hatred, that kind of division. But then I've done research and I've had a lot of people attack me on X or Twitter saying that I'm all pro-Israel and, and ignoring the atrocities that Israel has done to Palestine over all of these years. So I did a lot of research, and here's what I found. Let's break this down in just very specific terms, okay? Number one, why does Israel have to have the Iron Dome defense system? If they are the aggressors, if they are the occupiers, if they are the monopolizers, why do they have such, why do they have to have such a sophisticated defense mechanism? Also, as I said in my last podcast, that individual that wanted to hate Jews and read Alan Dershowitz's book, A Case for Israel, and then actually flew to Israel, saw that in Israel, and, and by the way, in Israel itself, there's about 20, 21% Palestinians living in the borders of Israel. And Israelis and Palestinians are living in peace together in the same neighborhoods. But did you know? Israelis are not even allowed to travel into some Palestinian countries. Palestinians are allowed to go into Israel without restriction, but Israelis are restricted from traveling into some Palestinian countries. That's basically the first example. The second example is I don't see a lot of Israeli parents teaching their children to hate Palestinians. I don't see protests of Israelis in Israel chanting death to Palestine. But on the other side, I do see hundreds of thousands of Palestinians protesting Israel and chanting death to Israel. And I've said many, many times, the only way we get this to stop is parents have to stop teaching their children to hate anyone, anyone. You can disagree you can not like, but you cannot hate because hate brings about reactions that you wouldn't normally take when you're thinking rationally. Also, I have noticed in Israel, they do not have any cartoons or uh, Muppet shows, you know, like Sesame Street or something like that, that teach their children that Palestine are the enemy and Palestinians are worthy of dying, that you should kill Palestinians. However, I do see TV programs sponsored by Hamas and other terrorist organizations in Palestinian TV that are basically like Sesame Street, but teach Palestinian children to hate Jews. Every day, 
hundreds of millions of Palestinian children sit and watch a program similar to Sesame Street. It's called Pioneers of Tomorrow. And on this show, there's a young host that basically says that you should throw stones at the Jews and that one of the young children was very excited because they wanted to grow up to be a police officer so they could shoot Jews. This does not happen in Israel. This happens in the Palestinian countries. Now, I know, I will say until I'm blue in the face, there are peaceful Palestinians. But you know what? The longer you stay silent, the more complicit you are in this. Just like the Germans, when they remained silent watching all the atrocities that Hitler was, was creating against the Jews, those Germans that sat silent, that knew, well, I, I should clarify, those Germans that knew what was going on and sat silent were complicit. I know there were many Germans who didn't know because their TV and uh, newspapers were propaganda saying that this was a righteous thing and that the, the people that, that Hitler was attacking deserved to be killed because they were threats to Germany. And they didn't tell all the Germans that, you know, they were really committing genocide of one particular people, the Jews. But even those that believed that were led to believe through propaganda that Jews were dogs, were less than human, didn't deserve to live. That is the same thing members of Hamas, Hezbollah, and other radical Palestinian groups who have apparently a lot of control over the media in Palestine. That is what they are teaching children, that it is necessary to get rid of all Jews. Now, what is really behind these attacks from Hamas into Israel? I believe the main reason is because Saudi Arabia and Israel were coming to a peace agreement that would have disrupted everything in the Middle East. It would have gone against everything that people have been teaching their children for millennia, that the Israelites are evil and greedy and warmongers and everything negative you can think about a person. That is what Palestine wants their children to believe Israelites are. The main reason, though, why Hamas attacked Israel right now is to try and derail the peace talks between Saudi Arabia and Israel. That is why they invaded at this time. See, Iran is threatened. If Israel and Saudi Arabia and other countries find peace agreements and find ways to work together, Iran loses its power. That is the main reason behind these attacks from Hamas into Israel. And we know for many, many years, Palestinians have been chanting all over in Iran, Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan. And now we have these riots happening in London and Sydney and a lot of Western cities where there are thousands of Palestinians out there supporting what Hamas did and chanting death to Israel and death to America. We also have history repeating itself because we have some people in Sydney were actually chanting gas the Jews. And right now in Berlin, 
The mayor of Berlin has told the Jews that it's probably best that they don't reveal publicly what their religion is. And there are some homes in Berlin with the Star of David painted on them. This is all eerily similar to what happened in the 1930s in Germany. The only thing different, and the problem is today, these are worldwide protests now. Now, I am not in any way, shape, or form advocating for the discrimination of Palestinians. I've said before, and I will keep saying forever, there are peaceful Palestinians, but it is really time for peaceful Palestinians to start speaking out, to start standing up for what you know is right and what you know is going on is wrong. We also need to watch very closely what is going on around the rest of the world because there are definite triggers that could make this escalate into World War III. I also hear a lot of people talk about how Israel has to have a proportional response. This is an asinine thing to even think about, that Israel must do exactly the same as Hamas did to Israel in order to have a proportional response. Listen to what Douglas Murray says about a proportional response when talking to a newscaster that basically says that Israel needs to have a proportional response. Is that a reasonable, proportionate and moral response by Israel? There is some deep perversion in Britain whenever Israel is involved in a conflict. And it is the word you just used, proportion, proportionate, proportionality. Only Britain is really obsessed with this. I've heard it for the last few days incessantly. Proportionality in conflict rarely exists. But if we were to decide that we should have this fetish about proportionality, then that would mean that in retaliation for what Hamas did in Israel on Saturday, Israel should try to locate a music festival in Gaza, for instance, and good luck with that, should try to find a music festival in Gaza and rape precisely the number of women that Hamas raped on Saturday, kill precisely the number of young people that Hamas killed on Saturday. They should find a town of exactly the same size as a town like Starot, where I've been many times myself, and make sure they go to door to door and kill precisely the correct number of babies that Hamas killed in Sterot on Saturday, and shoot in the head precisely the same number of old age pensioners as were shot in Sterot on Saturday, just to choose one town. Proportionality in conflict is a joke, and it's a very strange British concept which we've had that only the Israelis in a conflict when they are attacked are expected to have precisely the proportionate response. No, I that was a brilliant response because those people that are screaming that Israel has the right or, or has the obligation to respond proportionately to Hamas. Well, Douglas Murray pointed it out very, very well. Do we go in and rape the exact amount of women that Hamas raped and kill the, amount of, the same amount of babies as Hamas killed? Do we burn down, you know, and destroy the same amount of buildings that Hamas did? Do we drag the same amount of bodies through the street that Hamas did? Do we burn the same amount of bodies that Hamas did? Proportionality is a joke, just as Douglas Murray said. Now, I've heard a couple of things that have actually made a lot of sense to me. And I know this might sound brutal, but we know most likely Hamas is holding 
the hostages in the tunnels. And that is probably the biggest barrier of immediate entry for the Israeli soldiers right now. There are thousands of tunnels under Hamas, and they're all well fortified and cement fortifications, and and they, they go throughout the entire city, and Hamas moves easily within them. One person I read on X suggested that we pump water into all those tunnels, that we get, you know, a couple of dozen uh, major water pumps and pump water from the Mediterranean Sea all into those tunnels. And a lot of, a lot of other people, you know, said, well, well that'll, that'll kill the American hostages. No, that won't. Because if Hamas is smart, they'll move those hostages to save their lives. If they don't, their deaths are on Hamas, not on those who pumped all the water in those tunnels. Hamas is the one that took all of those hostages from that music festival and are holding them in Gaza. Now, I hope beyond all hope that we're able to rescue all of those hostages that Hamas has. But the chances of that are very slim at this point. Hamas has moved beyond rationality in what they, these atrocities they committed in Israel. And I think it's definitely time to send a message to the world's terrorists that Israel and America will not negotiate with terrorists. And taking hostages isn't going to give you any more leverage than you would have without the hostages. That is the message we need to send. We, may, we need to send to the world's terrorists It will make no sense for you to take hostages in the future because that will not persuade our decision on retribution one way or another. We need to get back to America and Israel. Do not negotiate with terrorists, period. Until we are willing to do that, these terrorists will always take American hostages because they will know that they can use them as bargaining chips to get more money for them and to get more concessions and forgiveness, I guess you could even say, for the atrocities that they commit against these countries. So until we change our behavior, we're not going to be able to change theirs. For so long, they have understood that if they take hostages, they can bargain with those hostages and make us make concessions and give them either money or safe passage and promise to not prosecute them for their atrocities. Now, it does not help that Joe Biden basically funded this terrorist attack. And I know in the last podcast, we pointed out that the $6 billion that was released, I guess you could say, from a South Korean bank based on uh, Qatari's help with that. But the real number is actually 80 to 90 billion dollars because Joe Biden lifted all kinds of sanctions against Iran and these other uh, Palestinian countries. And so that combined with the fact that we do not have energy independence in this country and that we're dependent on foreign oil and we're allowing OPEC to set the oil prices the oil prices are going up. Right now, they're about $85 a barrel. And that additional money goes into the pockets of the terrorist sponsor states like Iran. That is why 
terrorism is on the rise worldwide. And one thing that really bothers me is down on our southern border, the U.S.'s southern border, if you look at the demographic makeup of many of the people coming into this country, they are not families. They're not young women and children. They are grown military age men, fighting age men coming into this country. Go look at all the videos, all the busloads of, of people unloading in New York City, all men, all single men. This bothers me because I have to believe this is being done on purpose. So are they going to build a terrorist army inside the United States? It's kind of what it looks like to me. And now we hear people on the left calling for the United States to open its arms and borders to millions of Palestinian immigrants trying to escape from Gaza. Well, we should take a clue from the surrounding countries, which are Palestinian countries like Egypt and Jordan and Yemen and all those countries. They're not allowing these immigrants into their country. Why? Because it's probably going to be hard to tell the difference between fleeing Palestinian immigrants and Hamas terrorists embedded within. If you think about it, you have no way of knowing that. And also, let's just say best case scenario, okay? Best case scenario, we allow the peaceful Palestinians in this country and we're able to filter out, not take in terrorists, which <laughs> that's already ridiculous because we've already taken in uh, well, over 160 have been apprehended at the border, which are, who are on the terrorist watch list. So how many people are already in our country forming little, little terrorist cells? But best case scenario, we allow the peaceful Palestinians into this country. What we don't understand is we're also going to allow their prejudices and their hatreds and ideologies that hate this country. So why on earth would we allow illegal immigrants from Gaza into our country that hate our country? They call us the great Satan, death to USA, death to Israel. That's what many of them chant in unison. If there is a way to filter out those people who hate our country and who just want peaceful asylum and want to assimilate into our country, I'm all for that. I am all for it. But right now, we have no way of filtering out people who really want to come into our country to commit harm to our citizens and to our country in general. Until we have a way of doing that, there's no way I want Palestinian immigrants into this country. Sorry, not going to happen. And I know that's harsh and, and blunt, but you know what? That's what we need to do right now. We need to be harsh and blunt about what this situation is really about. It's about building a worldwide terrorist network that will get the rest of us to follow or be killed. Because in the Quran, it says that. It says that you must either convert or kill the infidels. And the infidels are anyone who do not believe in Islam. Also in the Quran, it tells Muslims that they have the right to deceive and lie if the ultimate purpose 
is either conversion or killing the infidels. I don't remember it saying that anywhere in the Bible or the Torah, any of those places where it says that you can lie and you can deceive and you can steal and you can do whatever you want to your enemy because they are the enemy. They are infidels. That is the difference in philosophies we have going on here. And that is why so many hundreds of thousands of people worldwide in countries all over the world protesting for Hamas, actually showing support in what Hamas did and justifying the atrocities that they committed, all because they believe Israel and the United States are the great Satan. How do you fight that? How do you find middle ground between people that say you are Satan, you are evil, you are Hitler, you are Nazis? How do you find middle ground with people that think like that? You don't. All right. Now, where did all this come from? I hear a lot of people on X and in my own life that have talked to me, uh, people I work with and, and whatnot, will say that the reason why the Palestinians are so mad is because Israel stole their land. Well, excuse me, someone honked at me. <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard that or not. But that, that is completely false. Completely false. There has never been a land called Palestine, ever. In world history, there has never been a land called Palestine. There has, however, been a land that was named Israel. There have been periods where many other nations have control of this land, and at one time it was Islam, but they did not originally settle this land. I mean, we can trace this land all the way back to 10,000 BC uh, during the Bronze Age, and then in 2000 BC, the Canaanites lived there, and it was taken over basically by Egypt. Then in the Bronze Age or Iron Age, Israel and Judah kept going back, and, and Jewish and Samaritan peoples kept going back and forth between the control of, of that land. Then you've got Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian empires. I mean, you've got the Hellenistic period. You've got the Hasmonean dynasty. You've got all these countries have lost and gained control of this land, but it's always been called Israel, even when it was the Rome, R Roman Republic. Okay, and this was as a result of the Jewish-Roman wars in the first and second centuries. Uh, many Jews in, uh, were killed and displaced and sold into slavery. Remember, we're talking about the history of slavery many moons back and how many people think that the, the worst offenders of slavery was America with African slaves. No, no, no. They weren't near <laughs> as brutal as the Romans treated the Jewish slaves they had. And then uh, Greco-Roman period, the, uh, Christians took over the land at, at some time. And during World War I, Sinai and Palestine campaign of the Allies led to partitioning of the Ottoman Empire. And Britain was granted control over the re region by the League of Nations mandate. All right, so let's go back to that, 1937, 1947. Great Britain had control of this land, and Palestinians lived in the land, and also Israel Israelites lived in the land together. But the Palestinians wanted the total control of that land. So they went against the Ottoman 
empire and the special partitioning by the League of Nations mandate. And they attacked the Israelites to try and destroy all of them. See, that has been the goal of Palestinians all of all time. Destroy Israel, period. Destroy Israel. Wipe them all out. That is their goal. Then in 1948, the Israeli Declaration of Independence sparked the 1848 Arab-Israeli War, which resulted in the 1948 Palestinian expulsion and flight, and subsequently led to waves of Jewish immigration from other parts of the Middle East. And today, about 43% of the world's Jewish population resides in Israel. Now, in 1948 and 1967 and other times, there has been Palestinian uprising to try and take that land all to themselves again. And each time the UN stepped in one time, the League of Nations stepped in another time, they all agreed that the best solution is a two-state solution. And they drew maps that were horribly unfair to the Israelis. But the Israelis accepted these maps and even gave new cultivated farmland to the Palestinians in a hopes for peace. And the Palestinians never accepted it. At one time, five different countries rose up to try and fight Israel. Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and Jordan all rose up together to try and fight Israel to push them out of this land permanently. And once again, Israel beat them all back. And again, the UN came in and stepped up to say, okay, we, we have a better two-state solution this time. Now we're going to give uh, all the Arab nations and Palestinians all of the cities and all of the ripest lands. And Israel will only have a, a one or two cities in the north and then all the desert land in the south of Israel. And once again, Israel accepted these terms, and Palestinians raged war again. Then again in 1967, you'd think the uh, Palestinians had learned their lesson at this point, but in 1967, you had Egypt, Jordan, and Syria all combined together to try and destroy Israel again. And once again, Israel won against all of them. And another concession was made. After this conflict, the Arab nation released what they called the three no's. Those three no's were no peace with Israel, no negotiations with Israel, and no recognition of Israel. That's making it pretty definitive how you feel about the people that just want peace. I mean, Israel gave farmland to Palestinians to try and get peace. They've tried to do everything. After every single war that Israel won, they never tried to, to keep the land. They never asked for more land. They never conquered more land. They kept losing land, and they kept accepting the terms. It is the Palestinians who have constantly fought against peace with Israel. And again, I will bring up the blatant obvious it is the Palestinians that chant death to Israel. There is no chant in Israel where they say death to Palestinians. 
Then from 1967 till about 2007, 2008, the Palestinians just kept doing suicide bombs into Israel and trying to do everything they can to destroy Israel. And they kept launching missiles into Israel. Nothing like October 7th of this year where 4,500 missiles were launched in, but they would launch a bevy of missiles every now and then. And that is why Israel created and got as a uh, gift from the United States the Iron Dome that allows them to live in relative peace, knowing that their defense system will take out any missiles that try to come into Israel. In 2008, Israel tried to do everything they could to bring peace. They gave, they offered Palestinians all of Gaza, um, 90, 89 or 90% of the West Bank, and even gave up, like I've said before, cultivated farmland, just trying to find peace. And Palestine doesn't want it. They do not want peace. Palestine wants Israel wiped off the face of the earth. Here's my question to Palestinians. If you succeed and destroy every Israeli in the world and take over that land, what would you do then? Who would you hate then? I know you would hate America. You would hate all other Western states because Israel, United States, European countries, Scandinavian countries, all those, we have freedom and they cannot stand the fact that we have freedom. They do not understand it is their religious mullahs, their leaders, their religious leaders that are wanting everything to go back to the Stone Age. They don't want modern technology. All they want is power. They don't want conveniences. All they want is power. All they want is power. And I'll say it again. We have to send such a strong message. Israel and the United States have to send such a strong message after this attack that it will never happen again. Now, we all know it's going to happen again, but I guarantee you terrorists will think twice before messing with Israel or the United States again if we make a quote-unquote non-proportional response and wipe out Gaza. And I'm tell I'm like I said that one guy's got a great suggestion flood all of the tunnels under Gaza pump water inside those tunnels so they are not all of the all of the ants will come out of those holes that is how we defeat everyone in Gaza those tunnels are going to cause major headaches for the Israeli soldiers that are going to uh, have a ground offensive that's going to be launched anytime now now, just a brief history of the Gaza Strip. Okay, after 2005 or 2008, uh, Israel did not take over the Gaza Strip. They allowed the Palestinians to have full control of the Gaza Strip. Now, Gaza Strip is a beautiful piece of land right on the Mediterranean Sea and literally beautiful uh, waterfront property that could have been developed into an extremely profitable resort town and could have been taking care of Palestinians in great luxury and peace and comfort. But what did the Palestinians do with the Gaza Strip? They turned it into a terrorist training ground. And 
in 2010, I think it was, or I don't know where it was. It was right around 2008, or maybe right after that. The Palestinians elected Hamas to be the leaders of Gaza, the Gaza Strip. What? <laughs> that is what has happened in Israel and the Gaza Strip. Hamas was elected to run it. And no, it is not Israelis who are holding an iron fist over those that live in Gaza. It is Hamas. Israel wants peace. They have made concession after concession after concession, giving up their prized land that they honestly deserve the entire land of Israel because of how many times they've conquered Palestinians that rose up and tried to kill all Israelis. But no, they haven't. So you tell me, who do you believe when you hear Palestinians say Israel is the real aggressor and oppressor and they're monopolizing that land? Do you believe them or do you believe Israelites when they say we've tried everything we can to make peace with Palestinians? We have Palestinians living in peace inside our country. It is Palestine who has always raged war. And my friends, it all goes back to Jacob and Esau. That's where all of this goes. And again, the reason why this hatred still exists today is because parents are passing those prejudices and that hatred on to children. And I'm telling you right now, that is probably the worst possible thing you can do to your child, is to pass on a prejudice and a hatred that you've had your whole life, because that limits that child's growth. That changes that child's view on the world. They don't look at the world through optimistic and dream-filled eyes. They look at the world through hatred. And they look at a restricted view of their possibilities in the world. And parents, that's on you. Stop teaching your children to hate. You can teach your children the difference, differences, and you can teach your children to disagree, but disagree civilly. Disagree with warmth. Don't disagree and then have to destroy because of hatred. That my friends, is what I wanted to talk about today. I know it was really intense. There was some really graphic descriptions, but I needed you guys to understand what is really going on. This is not Israel's fault. This is Palestinians. And not all Palestinians, like I've said numerous times, and I hope you understand. I have a great love and affinity for Palestinians that are peaceful. And I, like I said, I've met many Palestinian and have Palestinian friends today. And most of them don't comment anything on social media. And I understand why. You don't want to get caught up in that. But I'm telling you right now, Palestinians, you need to stop teaching your children to hate Israel. You need to stop the lies that Israel is responsible for all of this. They are not. What Israel is today is a result of Palestinian hatred and aggression. That is a fact. Thankfully, there are some Palestinians starting to speak out. 
on this and starting to tell the truth about what happened. This is, I found this on Instagram, and I don't know who the individual is, but he has the traditional um, headdress of like probably Egyptian or maybe Saudi Arabian, but he's talking about how this has never been Palestinian land. Listen. Khalifa's misinformation on history. Israel has only been a state since 1948. Palestine is thousands of years old. I remember this guy, Jesus Christ on a motorbike. <laughs> Sorry, Mia, you are wrong. Israel is 3,000 years old, 75 years young. And this is not coming from a Jew, but from a proud Muslim. The prophets of God whom I believe in were Israelites. A significant number of these prophets disseminated their teachings in the land of Canaan. A land which Joshua bin Nun later renamed... Israel. And then King David proclaimed Jerusalem as the nation's capital. Yes, Mia, it wasn't Donald J. Trump. It was King David. Even Jesus of Nazareth, Mia, called the land Israel in the Gospel of Matthew. The Roman Emperor Hadrian expelled Jews from Israel, erasing the name Judea. He supplanted it with the Roman Latin term Syria Palestina, which evolved into Palestine. Similarly, the city of Shechem was changed to Neapolis or Nablus, which means in Roman Latin, new city or new place. The Jewish people, dear Mia, are not foreign colonialists in the land of Israel. I wish you'd inform your audience that Israelis and Palestinians ought to coexist peacefully and that peace is the only way, not marring history or disseminating falsehoods. Please share this video as it may reach Mia and others so that they know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So true. The truth shall set you free. He also has a great speaking voice, doesn't he? <laughs> All right. So that is from a Palestinian. That is from a Muslim saying, no, uh-uh. this was Israel first. This land was Israel when Christ walked on it. And when Egypt overtook it, it was Israel. Egypt was the one that renamed it to Palestine for a short time, but that land has always been Israel. All right, as I always want to do, I want to end on a positive note. And this one's kind of a personal one for me. It was a very inspirational time when I saw this video. And because I'm a professional singer, it's always been one of my favorite stories. Okay, this video, you probably remember it if you're a fan of Britain's Got Talent. I think this one is actually from. But if you remember a guy named Paul Potts, he was a telephone salesman, and he always wanted to sing opera. And when he went on stage, and I'll let you hear the whole thing, but when he goes on stage, he said he wants to sing opera, and you can see the judges, you know, look at each other like, oh boy, what are we? And then um, they say, okay, go ahead and sing. And there's one last eye roll from Simon Cowell. And then this is what happens. By day, I've sold mobile phones. My dream is to spend my life doing what I feel that I was born to do. Paul, what are you here for today, Paul? To sing opera. I've always wanted to sing as a career. Confidence is, has always been sort of like a difficult thing for me. I've always found it a little bit difficult to be completely confident in myself. Okay, ready when you are.
Now, I don't know if you found that in, as inspiring as I did, but as a singer, I will tell you that uh, this is from the opera Terendo, all right? And this um, Nessun Dorma is the name of the solo. And Luciano Pavarotti is probably most famous, and this is kind of his signature song that he sings. And I'm not a tenor, so I can't hit that high B and hold it out. I can squeak a B every once in a while, but I can't hit that, that beautiful high B and, and modulate it down to the A at the very end. So that was beautiful. And the, the great thing about this is this guy looked n- unassuming. He looked like a normal guy. He looked like a mobile phone salesman. But then he sings with this power and has this control that shows he had an, an amazing natural talent. And I'm telling you right now, don't let anyone tell you you can't do anything. I mean, if Paul Potts can stand in front of millions and sing Nessun Dorma that beautifully, you can do anything. And do not shirk the talents that God gave you. Now, right now, I know I'm not performing like I want to be, but I am taking a little side road to make sure that I can perform for free if I want to later on in my life. Because I really am not doing it for the money. I love to sing. I love to perform. There is nothing more exhilarating than singing this amazing solo from a myriad of shows that I've done and have the audience break out in a long applause. And the spotlight fades and you just stand there in the dark and it's a rage of applause. Uh, it's just incredible. It's such an uplifting, amazing, exhilarating feeling. So this was inspiring to me. I hope it was inspiring to you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did or didn't, write me, Drew, at thewatchdogsbark.com. And that brings us to the end of another podcast. Until next time, create an amazing day, and please help me relay the bark. <laughs>